This week on Double-Edged Sword, cutting to the heart of a deceptive culture, Father Richard Days talks about a priest who is responsible for his vocation, Father Emil Capon. What made this priest so special? Will he be canonized a saint? Well, let's find out. Father Rich is being interviewed by Divine Mercy Radio's on-air host, Kelly Roper. All right, so a little bit about Father. Father Richard Days served our country for 28 years as a military veterinarian before making the decision to serve God as a priest. He was ordained in 2010, served as the pastor of St. Mary's Church in Ellis and Sacred Heart Church in Colby. He is currently the pastor of St. Joseph Church in Hayes. He is the vicar for clergy for the diocese of Salina, as well as the moderator for the Salina Diocese Rural Life Committee. And we are so grateful to have him here today. Thank you. Well, thank you. All right. So, but tell us how Father Capon was uh, somewhat responsible for your vocation. Well, I, uh, <clears throat> as you indicated, I was 28 years in the Army. My last assignment was at Fort Leavenworth, Kansas, and I arrived about May of the year 2000. In that year, the state of Kansas dedicated a statue in Pilsen, which was Father Capon's uh, hometown, and this was to be a Kansas's Korean War memorial. So I thought, well, what the heck? I was in Korea, so I drove down for it. I had never heard of the man. All I'd ever heard of was Cape and Mount Carmel High School. So I got down there, and they were telling the story. Father John Hotze, who is kind of the, his, uh, promotes the cause for uh, the Diocese of Wichita, was telling the story. I thought, wow, that's pretty neat. Kansas farm boy. He went in the Army. He was a priest, and he served in Korea. And I got to thinking, wait a minute. I'm a Kansas farm boy. I went in the Army. I served in Korea. And um, obviously, we're both Catholics. So I thought, you know, that's kind of interesting. And so the Diocese of Wichita, their first um, Sunday in June is known as Father Capon Sunday. And they have dedicated, and they have a, quite a memorial out at, the, out at Pilsen. Well, the military archdiocese is also co-sponsoring him for canonization as a saint in the Catholic Church. And they sponsor on Veterans Day a pilgrimage to Pilsen. Mm-hmm. So people start out in Wichita, and they hike all the way out. It, I don't know how many miles. I had no d- desire to hike it. But uh, So before I went in the seminary, I made both of those every time. And each time I'd be sitting there, I'd kind of feel a little nudge and um, didn't think too much about it. But I think Father Emil was giving me a nudge each time, and I think he finally got tired of nudging me and kicked me in the seat of the pants and told me to get in the seminary. So that's kind of, I think that I am one of his miracles. I can't prove it, and so obviously it hasn't been submitted to Rome. But Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah but it was a miracle for you, for sure. Yeah, definitely, yes? yeah. definitely. Yeah, and so that was the year 2000, you said? That was 2000 when we first started. I uh, retired from the Army uh, April 1st, uh, 2004. And then I worked for Northrop Grumman as a in civil affairs as an analyst for them because they would go around to different units that were either going to Afghanistan or going to Iraq, and so we would either do a, a put on a seminar for them or we would uh, uh, do observe an exercise and then have uh, critiques of their exercise. So that was I really enjoyed that. It was wonderful. And then they broke up my team, and I thought, well. 
If I am going to, uh, I need to know an answer. I don't know that I'm being called. In fact, it was the third year in the seminary before I was pretty sure I was being called. Right. So, but I said, I need to find out. So now's a good time. So my old boss, I went and told him, and I went and told my new boss, and both of them said, if this seminary thing doesn't work out, you got a job. So that was kind of reassuring that, you know, I wasn't going to be out anything regardless. My first um, meeting with my spiritual advisor in the seminary, I told him, I'm not sure I'm supposed to be here, but I'm pretty stubborn, so will somebody tell me if I'm not supposed to be here? And he said, don't worry, the system works very well. Well, our last day, we would have <clears throat> what they call a, a commissioning mass, at the, uh, and they bless all of our chalices at the seminary. We'd have a festive dinner, and then the third year would roast the fourth year. So we were going to get roasted. And as we were getting ready, I was walking down the hall, and my spiritual advisor came up, and he had a big grin on his face, and he shook hands. He said, nobody said anything, so I guess you were supposed to be here. So, mm-hmm. so I was ordained in 2010 along with um, Father Peter O'Donnell. So you, we had kind of the tall and the short, the young and the old, and yeah. uh, so. But uh, been very happy with it. Uh, yeah. I also just want to take a little issue with your introduction. Yeah. I think uh, God was calling me to be a veterinarian too, not just to, to, later on to be a priest, but I think He called me to be a veterinarian as well. So, yeah. and yeah. I. There wasn't a day I didn't look forward to going to work uh, the whole 28, well, 27 years, nine months, and nine days that yeah. I was on active duty. Uh, there were some things we had to do I didn't like, but every I had great kids to work with, and I got to dabble in every aspect of the veterinary profession. The Army sent me all over the world, and you wonderful taxpayers paid for two master's degrees. So I, it was wonderful. <laughs> you know, you bring up an important point, because often when we say vocation, we think, you know, vocation to the priesthood. But, but there are other vocations besides that Definitely. of the priest station. There's only two of them that are sacraments. But, yes, they're, they're all considered a vocation where God is calling us to serve him and his people one yeah. way or another. So. so what did you do to learn more about Father Capon and then to ultimately end up sharing it with Catholic school students? So how did that transpire? Well, as I said, I went down every first uh, Sunday in June, as well as Veterans Day. Mm -hmm. And then after I uh, retired, I went to the seminary. And of course, then four years, I didn't get to go to either of those. But my first assignment was just west of Hayes here in Ellis, Kansas at St. Mary's. And I was still very fascinated with Father Emil, and I was convinced that he was the one responsible for me being a Catholic or not being a Catholic, being a Catholic priest. And I told several of the people at Ellis, I said, if you got a problem with me, you better take it up with Father Emil because I think he's responsible for it. So anyway, we have a school over there, uh, kindergarten through sixth grade. So after about my second year, I got to thinking about it. And um, so I told the kids, I said, uh, you've seen funerals. I said, "Um, uh, the military has a different way of doing their funerals. I said... Now, Hollywood has really ruined marriages, and I could get on my soapbox about how this is not uh, liturgically correct. But I said, Hollywood even knows if you're going to do a funeral in a movie, you better have it a Catholic funeral or a military funeral because we do it right. (laughs) So anyway, I talked to the – the district was very cooperative. I said, if I pay for the gas and the driver, can I use a bus to take my kids down? They said, sure. 
So as it turned out, one of my parishioners was also a bus driver. He called in sick that day, Mm -hmm. and somebody else took his route, and he drove all the way down. It was about a little over a three-hour drive to get to Pilsen. And uh, so I basically... That was even before he'd been awarded the Medal of Honor. But uh, we had Mass there, because that's where he celebrated Mass. They had the procession cross that he carried as an altar boy, as well as in uh, as a priest. And uh, the rectory where he stayed, and then uh, they had to build a uh, rectory into kind of a museum of different things. And so the kids really liked it. We had a picture taken of them out with Father Emil's statue. And uh, so I did that every year. And then I think it was 2013, the Army finally got around to award, it took them 62 years, but they finally awarded him the Medal of Honor. And I really want to thank the congressional delegation from Kansas, both the two senators as well as the representatives for really pushing the Army to do this. Because the congressman went in, they sent this write-up to the chief of staff of the army and he read it and he said this man deserves the medal of honor mm-hmm. and it, it wasn't too long they invited all of them the thing i, I felt bad about and i had met uh, father emile's brother eugene eugene passed away two years before they awarded the medal of honor and i wished he'd have been alive to have received it as it was father emile's uh, nephew received the medal of honor mm-hmm. from president obama so i took the kids down they were fascinated by the story then uh, in uh, about five years ago, I was moved to Colby, and again, I told all the kids about it, and it was a four-hour bus ride, but I took my fourth and fifth graders down, and so I asked them later on, I said, well, what did you really enjoy? And they, they had different things that they really enjoyed. First of all, not every American, probably very few Americans have ever seen a, congr- a Medal of Honor, and those kids all got to see a real Medal of Honor. Wow. So they thought that was great. They thought the story about it, visiting the church was great. And I said, well, what wasn't so great? Said, that bus ride, it was terrible. <laughs> so, And I had to agree with them. Well, four hours is a long time to sit on a bus, and they had four hours down and four hours back. But uh, So then this earlier this year, I started getting a bunch of phone calls. Probably half the Sacred Heart Parish out in Colby called me. Mm. Did you know they found Father Emile's remains? I said, no, I hadn't heard that. But what impressed me even more was the eighth graders, who was our confirmation class, over half of them called me because they had been down to Pilsen, and they wanted to make sure I knew that they had recovered uh, his remains. Mm. So the Diocese of Wichita, they've been very kind. They've included me, in fact, the folks in Pilsen almost considered me part of their parish because I brought my kids, uh, was down there so much, and I invited uh, several of them to my ordination. So when we went down, uh, they would always, uh, I'd talk to them, I'd say, well, I would like to celebrate Mass, and I'd get my letter of suitability uh, to sent down to the chancery. And then I would ask the ladies there in Pilsen if they could prepare soup and sandwiches for the kids. So we would have dinner there, and then we'd come back. So it was very a wonderful experience, and the fact that all of my those kids remembered and thought it was important to make sure Father knows about that they've recovered Father Emil Capon's remains. So, yeah. so it was great. And and, and pretty amazing that, that that it just happened recently, right? They yes in, in Hawaii. Well, basically, what happened was after the Father Emil died in the prisoner war camp number five, which is up near the Yalu River. And all these years, I've been telling the kids he's probably buried in a mass grave. God willing, someday we will get his remains back. Yeah. 
Well, I learned actually attending his vigil and also the uh, funeral, the father Emil, the POWs buried him in a separate grave. So after the ceasefire was signed, the armistice was signed, we're still at war with North Korea. But after the armistice was signed, they reparated about 4,500 remains, and they were brought back. Most, a uh, few of them were, they knew who they were, and those were sent home to their families to be uh, for funerals and burial. But most of them were just marked Korea, unknown. And they were placed in the National Cemetery in, uh, in Honolulu, the National Cemetery of the, of the Pacific. It's uh, in an uh, extinct volcano, so it's called the Punch Bowl. When I was stationed in Hawaii, I visited the Punch Bowl several times. Any guests that I had coming out, we visited there, and I went up on my own several times. I always went to visit uh, Ernie Pyle's grave because he was a war correspondent during World War II. And uh, Ellison Onasaka, I probably mispronounced his name, he was one of the astronauts on the Challenger, and he's buried in uh, the Punch Bowl as well. And as I told Sister Doris, I may well have visited Father Emil's grave and didn't even know it because of his bark Korean unknown. Well, just recently, they opened up all those graves to try and identify them. There is a uh, lab at Hickam Air Force Base, which is right next to Pearl Harbor, where they go through and they check the x-rays, they check dental records, they check all of that to try and do identification. Then a small part of the um, remains, either the bone or something like that, is sent to Dover, Delaware, where there's a lab there that does the DNA. Now, there's this article that was in the Wichita paper about a uh, lady, by the, and I forget her last name, her first name was Jin. She, was, she is Korean, and she was born in North Korea, and her grandfather, as a little girl, of course they would escape down to the so- South Korea, would tell her that they needed to thank all of those Americans who had died for, for giving them their freedom, and she said, yeah, yeah, sure, Grandpa. Well, anyway, when she got older, she came to the United States to get her uh, college degrees. And after she got her degree, she met her husband, and they got married, and she uh, acquired her natural, uh, was citizen, uh, got her citizenship. Well, they, he was moved to Hawaii, and she needed a job. And sure enough, she got a job with the uh, POW and the missing persons lab there at Hickam Air Force Base. And she said all of Grandpa's stories came back to haunt her then. And she said she got a phone call from a guy, and he said, if you ever run across the remains of a chaplain, Emil Capon, give me a call. Mm-hmm. Well, sure enough, about a year, less than a year ago, uh, they'd identified it, and they went through the x-rays. They still have all the x-rays. Some of them are falling apart, but they have x-rays. They knew that he would be an older man, and so his pelvic bones would be fused, unlike the 18-, 19-year-olds that most of the soldiers were. And that... Um, he was a little bit taller than the average GI. And so anyway, all of that fit. They sent the DNA and it came back. Now her first words were, word was holy. They didn't tell us what her last word was, but I imagine most everyone would have imagined when she recognized that remains numbers such and such are Chaplain Emile Capon. Mm. So she made the phone call and uh, it was just a fascinating story uh, to read about mm. that. Mm. But. I've probably done more research and, and book, read books and everything about Father Emil Capon than anybody else except maybe our Lord. Mm. And yet I learned so much of little anecdotal stories when I, at the vigil and at the funeral. 
So, Father, I'll let you answer it. What war was Father Emil Capon a chaplain in? Actually, he was a chaplain in World War II because his first assignment was back to Pilsen because it's a Czech community and he could speak Czech. Now, he was ordained in 1940. And so in 41, when the war broke out, Kansas has a lot of wide open spaces. So we were had a plethora of airfields to train pilots for the war. There was one just north of Pilsen, and he went up to provide mass and uh, sacraments to the servicemen stationed there, and he volunteered. It took him two, uh, two tries, but the bishop finally let him go, and he was stationed in the China India Burma Theater. He was in Burma during World War II. And then he came back, uh, got out of the service in 1946. The Diocese of Wichita sent him to Catholic University, and he got a degree, uh, a master's degree in education. And he came back, and this time they assigned him to another Czech community of Timken, which is about uh, 15 to 20 miles southeast of Hayes. It's now in the uh, Dodge City Diocese. So when they had the year of Father Emil Capon, which was uh, 19, hold on a second, I'll tell you, 1915 to 1916, the Bishop of Dodge City said, well, we're going to have a special commemorative in our town of Timken. As it turned out, Father Emil had been in Timken for about six months. He loved the people. The people loved him. There were three couples that got married while he was there. His first communion class was seven. Well, at this uh, uh, get-together in uh, 2016, Three of his seven first communicants were at that, and one of the married couples were there, too. So it was very special, but he still felt a draw to come back to the Army. He knew they needed it. He knew there was a great need. And this time, he was assigned to the 8th Cavalry Regiment of the 1st Cavalry Division. And they were serving in Japan as the occupational force when the Korean War broke out, and they were rushed over some of the first troops to uh, go into Korea. So he served both World War II and Korea. We need to take a short break right now, but don't change that dial. You'll want to hear the second half of this show on Father Emil Capon with Father Richard Days. We're back on Double-Edged Sword, cutting to the heart of a deceptive culture on Divine Mercy Radio. Father Emil Capon with Father Richard Days. Kelly Roper conducts the interview. All right, so we are talking with Father Richard Days. He is a wealth of information on Father Emil Capon. Shared with us how Father Capon was responsible in part for his vocation and um, shared about the students that he took. And now he's talking about the life of Father Capon and he was getting ready to share some of the anecdotal information right. that he's found in different places through his reading and through homilies and right. all kinds of stuff. Well, one of them that I'd never heard of before, and apparently, and it I didn't meet the lady or anything. She'd probably be in her 80s or 90s now. But her mother had told her when she was growing up as a very little girl that Father Emil Capon was a very special boy. And so obviously this would have probably been back in the early 20s before he went to seminary or anything that the people because he would get up early in the morning, go in and serve mass, do his chores and then go to school. And so the people recognized that he would probably had a vocation, or at least some of them did. Mm. 
So uh, I had never heard that before, and I thought that was totally amazing that uh, they had kind of recognized that. Also, the fact it was kind of difficult for him, and I can understand why. Generally speaking, the church, at least here in the United States, will not send you back to your home parish because, one, I ain't going to confession to that little brat. I remember he broke out my kitchen window. So, But Father Emil, because Pilsen, was a Czech community, and they spoke predominantly Czech. Mm. That was the reason the bishop sent him back there. He wasn't real happy. He liked it being there, but he wasn't real happy because he'd cover his head and try and muffle the sound so he couldn't recognize who was going to confession to him. And a lot of the older people really weren't happy going to confession to him either. I think all the rest of the sacraments, there wasn't a problem, but that was one that both of them felt wasn't quite uh, comfortable with it. But uh, he also played a lot of softball. In fact, uh, one of the stories they told was that he would be on a team, and uh, if they were behind, all of a sudden he'd hit a home run. Or if they were ahead, he'd strike out. Mm -hmm. So he kind of kept the game even, and then if uh, one team was running off, he'd switch teams and uh, <laughs> to help the other one out. Of so so uh, really a remarkable individual. So. Yeah. Although they realized he had a vocation, he really wasn't considered a, a very special priest, except yeah. he was from their hometown. Mm -hmm. So, But all of the GIs that came back from uh, Korea, especially the POWs, knew he was a very special man. Uh, one of the stories I read about was uh, he ministered to all, everybody, yeah. whether they were Catholic, Protestant. Even a Turkish officer who was in the same POW camp came back and declared he is a saint. Now, to have an, uh, a Muslim say that about a Catholic yeah. is just totally amazing. The other thing, there was a, a POW that got there after Father Emil had left, and I think his name was... Uh, anyway, he car, uh, had heard about him, and when he got to... I guess he'd been bounced to several POW camps, and he was Jewish. He was a Marine pilot, combat pilot, and he'd been shot down and captured. And when he got there, he noticed something was different. The guys were helping each other. It wasn't just looking out after number one, taking care of me. They would try and help each other out. The attitude was a lot different. And after he got to questioning about it, he found out that the, the Catholic chaplain that had been there, Father Emil Capon, who died in May of uh, 1951, was probably responsible for all of this. And out of a... a and I'm not sure what prompted him to do it, but he carved a cru crucifix, which is now in the school down at Cape and Mount Carmel, carved it out of uh, scrap wood and everything. And there was a debate. They weren't, the North Koreans weren't going to let him take it out when they, uh, at the this exchange of prisoners after this ceasefire. And he told them, if I can't take that out, I ain't going. Well, I knew that would cause a political uprising, so they finally permitted him to take it out with him. And it, uh, I haven't seen that one yet. Uh, one exactly same for, uh, dimensions and everything was carved by a gentleman who runs a used car lot down in Gallup, New Mexico. He carried that all the way, and he'd go every weekend. He'd go out and he'd carry that cross all the way to Pilsen. So when he'd get to Sunday night, he'd stop and then he'd go back to work on Monday. Friday night, he'd come back out where he uh, stopped and mm -hmm. picked it up, and he carried it all the way to Pilsen. Wow. And that, that cross is at the museum they have in Pilsen. Wow. So He also had one that uh, we was talking at lunch. Father Capon um, 
one of the things I admired about him, I never took up smoking. I did smoke uh, about one cigar a semester when I was in college, mm-hmm. but uh, never took up smoking because my dad asked me. He didn't tell me. He asked me, and I think that made the difference, not to take up smoking. But if I had of, it would have probably been a pipe. Well, Father Emil was famous for his pipe, and one of them was shot out of his mouth by a sniper. And there's a a, a picture of him holding up his pipe with a big grin on his face. Well, this same gentleman had a a wood carving cut, and it's about four foot high, of uh, the uh, figure of Father Capon holding up his pipe that had been shot out of his mouth. So. (laughs) <laughs> Just a remarkable individual. I was uh, very fortunate. I was already in Wichita for a um, workshop for uh, cler- uh, vicars of clergy. Yeah. And uh, they had uh, vespers or evening prayer at the cathedral with Father Capon's remains on Monday night. On Tuesday night was his vigil, so I stayed over an extra day, and then Wednesday, of course, Wednesday morning was his funeral. So it was wonderful. It ah. really was. They uh, loaded his remains in his casket in a, in a uh, hearse, and they drove down to the cathedral. And then I believe they were probably from uh, Fort Hood, because that's the home of the 1st Cavalry Division. And they brought up a caisson, and they mounted the uh, casket on a caisson with uh, a six-horse hitch wow. and brought it in front of the cathedral. Across the street from the cathedral was the, the firing squad to fire the salute. Mm. The bugler was standing near the door. And so as they pulled up, uh, the, they gave the salute. The bugler played taps, and then they unloaded the casket and carried it into the, uh, to the cathedral. Wow. But uh, they have a beautiful cathedral in Wichita, but even it wasn't big enough. That's why they had it out at the arena north of yeah. town, yeah. which has a capacity of somewhere over 8,000. Uh, at the um, wake serv- or the vigil service on um, Tuesday night, I think they had somewhere around four to five thousand. And then I don't know. I don't think it was completely full, but they had close to eight thousand for his funeral on uh, Wednesday morning. So wow. it was wonderful. Would you like to share anything more about um, the testimony of the people who served with him who are still alive? Well, one of the things that I think was uh, also America was when they were captured because uh, in uh, 1950 the North Koreans came across the uh, the 38th parallel and attacked South Korea and pushed the South Korean army uh, which was not very well prepared and in fact pushed all of the United Nations forces as we got them in into a little area around the town of Pusan which is in the southeast uh, corner of Korea and it was known as the Pusan perimeter. Well, then they did a bust out when uh, uh, General MacArthur did something nobody thought they could do. They landed troops at Incheon, which is a coast city on the west side of uh, Korea, up near where Seoul is. And the reason they didn't think that was possible is because the tides vary so much. But uh, MacArthur said they'd do it, and they did it, and were very successful. And they pushed the North Koreans all the way back to the Yalu River, which is the, uh, the border between Korea and China. And everybody was saying, we'll be home by Christmas. Yeah. Well, what they didn't know was the, North, uh, the China, communist Chinese had infiltrated also. And so about October and November, early November, was when they had surrounded the U.S. forces. And so they had to fight their way out. The Marines were at what was known as the Chosen Reservoir, and uh, all the Marines called themselves the Frozen Chosen. Mm -hmm. And uh, they had to retreat, and they fought their way all the way back. They took their dead with them as well as their wounded. 
And uh, one of the newsmen said, well, are you retreating? He said, we're not retreating. We're just attacking in a different direction. <laughs> so, but the 8th uh, Cavalry Regiment that Father Emil was a chaplain for, they were surrounded, and the order was given their ever able-bodied man to break out and reassemble south. Father Emil refused to leave the wounded, so he stayed with them. He was captured, and as they were taken, the communist uh, Chinese were taking him away. A, a uh, some of his uh, unit, the Eighth uh, Cavalry, uh, saw him, and they shot all the the, uh, the guards that were holding him. So he went back and was staying with the wounded. And he refused to surrender because he thought all of their uh, people would be shot. He was able to talk a wounded Chinese officer into allowing them to surrender. because uh, And they did. They didn't kill him. They took him as prisoner if they could walk. If they couldn't walk, they did shoot him. Mm. Now, there was one man who had a broken ankle. By the, he was a Sergeant Herbert Miller. Mm. And Herbert Miller is the one that Father Emil Capon in the statue is helping to walk. Mm. I actually met Sergeant Miller down at Pills of one year. And what I consider the amazing miracle is that he should have been he should have died in November nineteen fifty and he was seventy years later he was at Father Emil Capon's funeral mm. in Wichita. He said, all of a sudden, he said, I was looking down the barrel of the gun and knowing I was about to die. And all of a sudden, somebody pushed that guard out of the way and picked him up. Mm. It was Father Emil Capon. And he said the guard was so shocked. He said ordinarily he would have probably shot both of them, but he was so shocked that it happened, he didn't do anything. So he, would, uh, he had to help carry uh, Sergeant Miller most of the way of oh, about 40 miles. And when he'd get tired and couldn't do it any longer, he'd uh, help him to balance so he could hop along on one foot. And he encouraged all of the other POWs to help their, because he knew if anybody fell out or, or wasn't able to continue, they'd been killed. Mm -hmm. So he encouraged all of the POWs to help each other. And that's the reason probably most of them made it to the POW camp. Once he got there, then things really started. I mean, he'd been awarded a Bronze Star before he was captured for uh, a, a daring rescue of a wounded uh, soldier that was out in under uh, receiving fire. He'd gone out and got him and brought him back to safety. So Father Capon knew who, who his God and Lord was, and he trusted him. A lot of people, you know, they, a lot of our confessions are, if we would just trust God, we wouldn't commit the sin anyway. It's right. just... And without a doubt, I'm sure Father Emil trusted God to be on any doubt. Yeah. And his actions showed it. So once they got the POW camp, it's in its common custom to separate the officers from the enlisted. So Father Emil would break out at night and he'd go over to the enlisted to give them encouragement. And also the the North Koreans didn't have much either. So what they were given was starvation rations, primarily millet. Millet is, uh, as a grass, is pretty good for livestock forage. As a seed, it's about all you can use it for is bird seed, and that was what they were feeding them. Mm -hmm. So there wasn't getting much digestion in it, and the guys were going downhill fast. In fact, there were probably over 7,000 uh, POWs. Over half of them died in their POW camps during mm -hmm. the Korean conflict. Mm -hmm. There were four Catholic chaplains who were captured. All four of them died in the POW camps. Mm -hmm. so, but anyway, he would, uh, 
uh, break out and uh, he'd break into the guards' quarters and steal food. He said, uh, and he always said a prayer to St. Dismuth, who is we known as the good thief, mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. his help and intercession to do this. Yeah. And um, a lot of the POWs are sure they're alive because of what he did. Not only that, but uh, there was a comrade, Sung, who was trying to do the uh, brainwashing of uh, the POW. said, how, well, where's your God now? He can't help you. But communism, this is the answer. And he said every time he'd say that, Father Emil would quietly refute everything he'd said. And he got the man so frustrated, he jumped up on a table one time and screamed at him. So anyway, uh, and they would punish Father Emil for interrupting their training exercises. So a lot of times, the winter of 1950 to 51 was one of the coldest on record in Korea. Well, as a punishment for interrupting uh, Comrade Sung's training, they would strip him down naked and make him stay outside in the cold. And uh, so I'm sure he had fro- he did have frostbite on his feet, and um, they were. T- uh, one of the things I heard at uh, the funeral and at the vigil was that his skeleton was almost complete, but he'd lost a couple of fingers. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure they were frostbitten was the reason he lost those fingers. Mm-hmm. But anyway, he also would um, he'd find some scrap metal, and he'd take a rock, and he'd pound it, and he made uh, bowls to boil, boil water in. And he was very good at that. He was a Kansas farm boy. Of course he was very good at it. And so anyway, they would boil the water, and he would— uh, call that coffee, and he'd give that to them. Most of the time, they ate snow, and that was the only way they had the fresh water because they didn't want to drink any of the water that hadn't been boiled. So, um, And one time when he was making those, a, a sliver f- uh, hit him in the eye, and uh, pretty much uh, probably uh, ruined his eye. So a lot of the pictures they have or uh, drawings they have of him, he's got a patch over one eye. He also developed a blood clot in his leg. And the other thing that was doing... Um, Father Hotsey said he really didn't want that assignment. He had enough on his plate, and he said, well, if I find some dirt on this guy, it's all over with. He said in all these years, the only dirt he found on him was from doctor, the doctor who was in the camp with him. Dr. Anderson said, well, yeah, Father Capon was terrible. He wouldn't eat his food. He gave it away to other people. So he said, even the dirt I found on him wasn't really that bad of dirt. So, <laughs> But he yeah. was losing weight, He was, uh, and the punishment they would give him of being out in the cold and everything— it took a toll on him. And so the communists saw a chance to get rid of one of their... The other thing was uh, that the men noticed the communists were afraid of him because he showed no fear. He, he, had, uh, he knew he was doing God's work, so what, what could they do to it? And uh, so anyway, they came and got him and took him to the hospital. Well, the hospital was really a, a death house. Uh, very few people ever came back from there alive. And so... They, several of the um, POWs were going to fight, and he said, no. He said, I'm going where I always wanted to go. Please tell my bishop that I uh, had a happy death. And then on the way out, Comrade Sung thought he had he won and everything. And he, Father Emil stopped him short, but he said, Comrade Sung, will you please forgive me for all the problems I gave you? And um, then as they were taking him away, he uh, prayed, Father, please forgive them. They know not what they do. And so in uh, May of 1951, he died in the POW camp. He was buried there, as I found out later, in a, his own private grave and was reparated in 1954 to the Punchbowl uh, National Cemetery in, uh, in uh, Honolulu. And uh, they recovered, uh, re- identified his remains earlier this year, and his funeral was 
in September of 2021, and uh, 70 years after he died, but we had a good Catholic funeral for him. So, And it was a good funeral because it was both Catholic and it was both military. So. Yeah. All right, so we, we've talked a lot about Father Capon. It is obvious to, I would say, it should be obvious anyway to everyone listening that, that he should be declared a saint. And I know that the process for that has been opened up. So where are we in that process? Well, St. Pope uh, John Paul II declared him a servant of God. So how it starts out is the people of his community, or in this case the Diocese of Wichita, started organizing things, and they put together a packet. And Rome recognized that, and that's why uh, St. John Paul II declared him a servant of God. That's the first step. Now, not only was the Diocese of Wichita working on this, but the um, Archdiocese for the Military Services was also working on his uh, cause for sainthood. And that's why we have Father Capon Sunday in first Sunday in June for Wichita and the pilgrimage to Pilsen, uh, Veterans Day, for the Archdiocese of the Military Service. I was told that uh, last year, in probably March of 2020, that um, Pope Francis was going to declare him venerable. However, at this, about that time, the pandemic broke loose and he never made the declaration, but I'm pretty sure that he will someday soon. I have hopes that I live to see uh, Father Emile Capon uh, canonized as saint. It don't matter though. I'm convinced he stands in the presence of God and that's the definition of a saint. So. I have no hesitation. I pray every day for his eventual canonization. But I also pray to him for some help with some things from yeah. time to time. Yeah. So. yeah, asking for his intercession. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and the, the closer we are to God, the the more likely that, that uh, you know, the intercession, that they're going to intercede for us. And, and if it's God's will, it then, will, then, yeah. The other thing that I found interesting, and I had just read about this, a year later— one of the POWs, I think it was, um, oh, I can't remember which one now, there's about three of them that uh, were, played a very important role, asked for permission to have a memorial service. And he said the, com- uh, the communists denied it, and he said you could tell they were still afraid of Father Emil Capon. Mm. Now, the beautiful thing was they had forbidden all religious services, and Father Emil paid a deaf ear to that. He celebrated Easter Sunday, and he didn't have, couldn't celebrate Mass, but he did go through all the stations of the cross. He had all of the uh, POWs in his little area assembled there. So they prayed the rosary together. They went through the stations of the cross, and then he closed out by asking them to sing America the Beautiful, and they all did. Well, as other, the camp was divided into sections, and as the word got around, the whole camps, all of them, started singing America the Beautiful. And um, so that's what we sang at his funeral mm. for a recessional was America the Beautiful, mm. which I thought was fantastic. So, yeah. But it was obvious that it, he wasn't scared to death of them. What could they do to him? Right. So. Right. I don't know, though, if, you know, if he would have been scared of anyone because, you know— he, he really had a, a deep faith and a trust in God. So, you know, it wasn't so much what could they do to him. It was, I trust in you, Jesus, I right. trust in you. So what a, what a beautiful, beautiful thing. Well, I would, if uh, anyone hasn't ever been to Pilsen, Kansas, I would encourage them to go see the memorial. 
to tour the it's a beautiful church i mean uh saint john the Pomazine, it's a beautiful church the old rectory is the museum for father emile so i'd encourage anyone and everyone to try and go to pilsen i'd also encourage you to go to wichita and visit the cathedral they've got a beautiful crypt that they have put installed for father emile capon's remains they had to move a crucifix that was not meant to be moved. I mean, it had a steel rod, and it was embedded in cement. Um, they practically had to tear down the side of the cathedral to get that moved, and they just moved it back about four feet, and they put the Father Emile's crypt right in front of it. And uh, it's a beautiful crypt, so I encourage you. It's a beautiful cathedral, so I encourage you to go visit the cathedral, visit Father Emile Capon's remains. Go visit Pilsen, visit his hometown and the church and the memorial that's there. Take your kids with them. Mm. This is a good way for them to learn that freedom is not free. It's you. There is a price to be paid. Yes. And fortunately, we have some wonderful people like Father Emil Capon, who is willing to pay the price and serve both God and his country and serve them both very well. Yeah. And so were you. Well, thank yeah, you. Yeah, thank you for, for your service, and thank you for so much great information. And, and I was thinking, actually, before you said take your children, I was thinking what a great place it would be to take your sons especially because your vocation was in part because of, Definitely, yes. of, of Father Capon. So what a great place to take your sons um, and see if, if they will have the same inspiration. Mm. Yeah, yeah, beautiful. Thank you for tuning in to Double-Edged Sword, cutting to the heart of a deceptive culture. Would you like to hear your business or service right here as an underwriter for this Double-Edged Sword show? Your underwriting would run three times with this show, and this show runs five times a week. Interested? Call 785-621-4110. You're listening to the network of stations of Divine Mercy Radio. If today you hear his voice, harden not your heart.